This is Due South. I'm Jeff Tiberi. And I'm Leonida Inge. Get ready for another Southern mixtape. Today we have in the studio DJ Travis Gale at WNCU Public Radio on the campus of North Carolina Central University. You know, that's like our sister um, public radio station. And, you know, Travis, you spent more than 40 years DJing across North Carolina, and recently you were named one of Raleigh, North Carolina's hip-hop 50th anniversary honorees. That's pretty cool, Travis. Yes, thank you very much. I think so. So tell me about, you know, this distinction. Um, You barely look 50 years old to me, (laughs) but I guess that gray beard gives you away. But tell me about how you grew up and became to love hip-hop. Okay, great. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me today, and thank you for allowing me to share uh, my experience. I grew up here in North Carolina, and I grew up in a rural area of North Carolina where a lot of my family members migrated to the north, to uh, cities like Philadelphia, D.C., and New York. And I had a set of families uh, of relatives that moved to the South Bronx in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was right around the era when uh, hip-hop was being formulated and created. As we all know that uh, August 11th, 1973 is the birth date of hip-hop by DJ Cool Herc. Um, His sister invited him to DJ a back-to-school party at a local community center on Sigwood Avenue in the Bronx. And that was in 1973. And... and I, at, during that period, I had relatives that were born and raised in North Carolina, but they had migrated to the South Bronx. And it was during that experience that they would be out at the events that Cool Herc and legendary artists such as Grandmaster Flash and African Bambada, they would be out there with their boom boxes recording the early days of hip hop. And then when they would come and visit for family reunion during the summers, they would bring these tapes, these mixtapes they've created out in the park, in the park jams and community centers of these early pioneer artists. They would come home and you would say, wow. Wow, yes. And um, and so I would listen to it. I'd just be fascinated. And I would just imagine what that experience was like, and even though I wasn't there. But it was just so fascinating to hear, you know, young people like myself reciting rhymes over parts of the music that I've recognized, which was never done before and ever in music recorded history. So so tell us a little bit about some of the music that that pulled you in that you remember all these mm-hmm. years later. Music perhaps that you then played later on at house parties, at rent right. parties. Uh, what were some of those early staples for you? Well, much of the music, uh, if, if you if you study hip hop, a lot of the songs that the early pioneer used were just a s- short snippet of the breaks. So a lot of the music that you heard on your radio stations and, and, and maybe your collection that your mom or dad had, these types of songs did not have what are called breaks. And what the DJs back then would do, they would get a lot of their music from rock and roll artists, or they would get it from a jazz song, or they would get it from a, a even a country song or some obscure funk record that had a short drum instrumental or a short drum breakdown at the middle or the end of the song. And then they would loop that, that, that portion of the song 
over and over again by using two turntables. And so a lot of the music that I heard back then, I, I wasn't aware of who wrote it, what was the artist, what was the name of the song. And of course, the record stores didn't have many of the copies, so you had right. no idea. And that was another part of the fascination is when you hear a mix by a, a, an artist like Grandmaster Flash, you're like, what is that he's using? And then it became a mad quest to find it. Like, that was a part of the culture But as we well. knew when somebody was using a break from, like, James Brown. Everybody right. used well, James Brown. Because what did James Brown right. say? Give the drummer some. Give the drummer some! Well, well, again, uh, James Brown, uh, during that period, uh, during the mid-70s and the late 70s, disco had taken over his whole, yeah. uh, his whole fandom. So he was, he was sort of somewhat played out. But his music, which was uh, very obscure at the time, was uh, resurrected by these DJs. And so if, if you look at The Funky Drummer by James Brown, that was a, that's a classic, probably one of the most sampled records of all time in hip-hop. One, two, three, four, get it! So, DJ Travis, have you been doing this since you were like five years old? That's what I hear. Fourteen. No. Ah, so I'm giving you yeah. five because I know, <laughs> I know, I hear you were DJing your mama's yes. parties down yeah. in Scotland County, yes. North Carolina. She would say, "Stack them up here and play this for yes. me and my friends." So you've been practicing <laughs> a long right. time, a long time. So tell us how you've kind of, you know, parlayed your love of hip hop into like a career, okay. you know, like you, you know, writing and voicing radio and TV commercials, you know, right. kind of produced in a hip hop style, because like you said, you know, you can hear these cool songs on the radio all the time, right. but um, people wanted to make money. So they could put them in commercials, couldn't they? Yeah. And, and so uh, the, as, as we, as, as the show, uh, the title of the show, the, the Southern mixtape, that was really what, made hip-hop flourish is that um, my uh, relatives would bring the mixtapes down. I would make a duplicate copy of it, and then I would sell it to my friends or give it away to my friends. And that started my mixtape business. And then the artistry, as I, I, I like to define myself, even though I am a DJ, but I'm a, I consider myself a mixtape artist, is because I use samples of those recordings to create my own mixtapes. And then I would use, um, I would, I would sell those mixtapes or give away to my friends or impress upon them, to um, listen to the type of music or the creativity that I would create. And then that led to me getting more and more opportunities to DJ, mm -hmm. which led to my radio career. And so, um, so that's what got me here today. DJ Travis Gales, your guest here on Do South. It's the latest edition of Southern Mixtape, but we got a chat and go kind of second level with this mixtape theme here. You're talking about the, mm -hmm. the mixtapes that you conjured up, produced back in the day. Tell me, you know, what side A or side B is on that quintessential North Carolina hip-hop Southern mixtape. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that uh, 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 the cassette 
because uh, remember we had vinyl records right. and then there was no way to record vinyl onto tape unless you had a, a reel-to-reel player and not okay. many folks had that and then the advent of the eight-track player came along which were pre-recorded songs which you would play in your car your dad would play in the home stereo but then they started allowing eight-tracks where you could record your vinyl to eight-track mm-hmm. and then that's where I started but I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember but the eight-track there was no way to rewind your favorite song and hear your song over and over again but when the cassette came out, that changed everything right. because cassettes became more portable. I don't know if you remember, we had the little cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. Everyone had that. And then they started installing cassettes on component systems, yep. which allowed us to record. And so I, I developed a skill of recording off the radio. I would listen to the radio and I would have my finger on the pause button. And, um, and during that time, the stations would maybe play one or two R&B songs an hour, not many. So I would listen to the radio station for hours upon hours to hear that one Cool in the Gang song or that one Commodore song or that one song that they would play to, I would, to where I would make my my tapes for my friends. And then I would go to school the next day and I would either give the tape away or sell it to a friend. And then I started to build my record collection. But when hip-hop came along... We were only concerned with the breaks. Remember, I was a teenager, so all I would do is just listen to the song, and then when I would hear the break, I would hit the pause button, and then I would rewind, and I would bring the record back, and I would start it over again, and I would make the whole 60-second song, the first side A, of James Brown, Give It Up, Turn It Loose. And then the other side would have a song like Apache by the Incredible Bongo Band. And that's all my friends would want. And then that was, that's all I needed for a 90 minute or a 30 minute tape. And then the quest became, the skill became not necessarily entertaining a crowd, is finding that perfect beat. So I, I would go to a record store, our used record store, your mom's collection, your cousin. I would go through every record and meticulously find that break, whether it was a four bar, eight bar, 16 bar. And who had the best? It was like baseball cards. We have the best collection was the better DJ at the mm. time. One thing, you know what, I like to think about when you say the the best collection, the best break, the best beat you know, we have to let folks know that a lot of those folks were from the South, actually, from yeah. North Carolina. Like when we think of yeah. like the in, um, influential, like George Clinton yeah. of Kannapolis. Everybody knows, you know, about Parliament and how great that was. But, you know, he, you know, he had a little Southern funk yeah. in him. Well, because we, we know that, again, most of the artists migrated from the South. James Brown is from Aiken, South Carolina, and George Clinton from uh, Kannapolis, that's where he was born. And then when you think about uh, Chuck Brown as the godfather of Go-Go, he's, he's out of Kinston. Uh, one of the early rap records was by this group called uh, the Fatback Band. They were out of Greensboro, North Carolina, King Tim III. Uh, Sylvia Robinson, who started Sugar Hill record label, uh, they were based out of Columbia, South Carolina. The, the, one of the first female rap groups was Sequence. And that was the first female rap group on Sugar Hill label. They were out of Columbia, South Carolina. So a lot of the funk 
and soul records were from records from uh, the, the southern part of the United States, Tennessee, Stax Records, James Brown, of course, and a lot of other groups. And so they had the intro uh, eight-bar break and then the breakdown in the middle of the songs, while the northern songs didn't quite have that. Right. But the southern soul songs had the breakdown, which made it, uh, made it um, very popular with DJs like myself. I want to ask you kind of a, a big, broad, wide lens question here as we think about hip-hop at 50. And I'm wondering if there is anything in particular as we think about impacts of hip-hop on North Carolina, on the American South, right? So like as, as a child, really the 90s, I think of hip-hop and I'm, I, I think of I think of Jay-Z, I think of Nas, right. I think of Tupac and Biggie and so on and so forth. But beyond the, the music, which of course is the driver to so much of it, there's Source Magazine. BET grew with hip hop. Uh, you have uh, cultural influencers like Allen Iverson, who just kind of changed right. American culture in different ways. But I'm wondering if, as you look at North Carolina or think about the American South 50 years later, what are what are the lasting impacts of hip hop, whether it's music or or kind of beyond the beats? Right. Well, what made the South or North Carolina in particular very significant in hip hop is that uh, hip hop was a youth movement. So it was it was pretty much young males, you know, 12 to 17 year olds that mm-hmm. were that were embracing this this culture in a really small part of New York City, which was the South Bronx. Yeah. Without BET and MTV and, and all the avenues of promoting music and songs, they, it was just really limited to that small region of the country. But because of the cassette and again, the trans, uh, the uh, migration between the North and the South, that cassette, that's how it got down here. And even when you think about Grandmaster Flash and some of the early pioneers of rap music, there weren't venues for them to perform into. There weren't, they couldn't just go to Madison Square Garden and do a show in the late 70s and early 80s. That didn't come until much later. However, because of the popularity and the mystique of what they were doing in New York, when they came to North Carolina and the promoter would book a show, let's say in Raleigh's Dorton Arena or Durham um, Armory over here, it would pack the place because People like myself had never, we've only had the mixtape. So Grandmaster Flash and Cool Herc and the early pioneers, they were superheroes to us because all we had was the mystery of those recordings. So when they would come down and it was, and I I know a few of these uh, pioneer artists and when I speak to them, they say when they, when they come to North Carolina, they, they got so much love, even more love than when they were performing in New York because there weren't venues in New York for them to perform, but they can, get the armory here in Durham and sell the place out. Or they can get the, uh, the, the Raleigh uh, Dorton Arena and sell the place out. 50 years, there have been so many iterations and chapters and threads and uh, sub-moments within mm-hmm. hip-hop. And I'm curious for you, as somebody who has a wealth of knowledge, mm-hmm. knows more about uh, this game, this industry, this movement, than the vast majority of people, you have four kids and five grandkids. <laughs> and I wonder, as hip-hop has changed, how much, if at all, are they teaching you about hip-hop or are you picking up on, on how they listen or what they listen to? Well, hip-hop now is second nature. You, you rarely think about it. You know, as I look at some of the image, just the imaging in this room, as I looked at the, uh, the, uh, the label that you have here, that's, that's when you look at that, I see hip-hop. I, mm-hmm. That design is, is hip-hop on your logo. Uh, the clothes that we were, the casual way we wear our clothes today comes from hip hop where, uh, you know, 30, 50 years ago, I wouldn't dare walk into a radio studio without a suit and tie on. 
but uh, hip hop has kind of casualized a lot of things. So it's to my to my kids, they're not necessarily conscious of hip hop. Where me, when I was in my youth, you know, it was a it was a total mission to get the world acclimated to hip hop. You know, we wanted we wanted to get our acceptance, acceptance in music, acceptance in nightclub, the, the clothes that we wear. Yeah, who, who says I can't wear sneakers in a nightclub? Who says I can't? Uh, talk this way? Who says I can't wear my baseball cap in certain places? And so those are the things that I think my kids are not necessarily conscious of, but when I was coming along, I had to fight for that. I had to, you know, really promote it, you know, become an advocate for hip hop and and give a lot of uh, justification to why it is something viable and something that can be, you know, validated as important to the community. Well, Travis, you know, it's been a delight to have you here um, today on Due South. You get it like Rapper's Delight? You get it? You get it? You get it? Well, big props to DJ Travis Gales. He and 25 other men and women were recently named Raleigh's Hip Hop 50th Anniversary Honorees. And you can hear DJ Travis on Friday nights spinning his old school mix on WNCU out of Durham, North Carolina. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I said a hip hop, the hip, the hip, the hip, the hip, hip hop, you don't stop the rocker to the bang, bang, boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat.